<laughs> I love that addition. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the I Think This Is Love podcast. I'm your host, Sheree. And if you're a first-time listener, this is the podcast where we talk all about love. So today with me, I have my good friend, Kara. Kara, do you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Lovely. Okay, Kara. Sheree. Where are you from? What? Tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I am from Holland, Michigan, which is where we're currently sitting, born and raised. And I have never left. That's an interesting thing. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... Have you ever traveled out? Oh, certainly. Oh, okay. But you just have never <laughs> moved. Worry. Okay. Never moved. Um, yeah, I represented the United States on an athletic team. I love that fun fact. I love that one. Yeah. That's... If people want to know what, what the sport actually was, they'll have to locate me. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Kara, can you give us your status update? This is just your current relationship status and how you feel about it. Yeah, certainly. I am uh, a married woman to a very handsome man. Of ten- We've been married 10 years. We just celebrated. His name is Dave. 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 Shout What's out to up? Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did you and Dave meet? Well, we met each other, let's see, I had gotten a job uh, as a youth pastor at a, and a worship leader at a church um, in Zealand, Michigan. And so when I got hired, he was actually the, so I got hired as a middle school youth pastor. He was the um, intern for <laughs> high school youth group. And so, yeah, I mean, so that we, we had to work <laughs> together a lot. My mind is going like, oh, intern you know but we got we had to work together a lot uh and it was in a super like fun context with you know lots of crazy kids and whatnot so a lot of built-in time spent together and um so we got to know each other that way and then we in a way it wasn't necessarily like a secret but we had to kind of be wise and smart about who we told when that we were dating and I think that made the beginning a little bit extra fun oh yeah because you had to be sneaky kind of sneaky (laughs) <laughs> the thing is, I think we thought that we were being more sneaky than we actually were. Really? Because, I mean, like, I get the job, and my students, one of the, you know, one of the first things they say is, like, are you single? Are you, are you, do you have a boyfriend? Are you single? Or whatever. And as soon as I said I was single, they were like, see that guy? That's Dave. He's single, too. You know, I, <laughs> they, so they're, they were excited to um, matchmake, I think. So in our heads, I think maybe we felt like it was more sneaky than it actually was. Mm, yeah. People probably were suspicious for quite some time. Gotcha. <laughs> but we'll just, we'll just still tell ourselves that we were very sneaky about it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Let's go ahead and get to the friend date. So I'm just going to ask you a string of semi-personal questions and you just answer to the best of your ability. All right. So if you had an autobiography, what would be the title? It would probably be called, um, I like to be special. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> well, listen, you know, I'm I'm proud to represent the people dominant in Enneagram 4 types out there. <laughs> and it's just one of the things. I the world feels a little easier to me when I'm confident that I've that I'm special within it. Dave certainly is very aware of all of the ways in which I like to make sure that it stays that way. <laughs> Lots of confessions. I love it. Very, yeah. In a movie about your life, which actors would play you? Oh, Kristen Bell. Only Kristen Bell. Mm, I like her. By far my favorite actress. Um, I 
I think she's an incredible person. But she's got this great sense about her that is she's warm and personable, but also like super witty and funny. Yeah. And I'm a fan. For sure. So kind of along with that, who would play your love interest and your co-star? Uh, Jude Law, because, well, he actually kind of looks like Dave. Great choice. You should go compare pictures. People have said I a can lot kind of that see he is, kind of looks like Jude Law. So that makes sense. And yeah, he's smart, funny, and sexy. It'd be a great choice for Dave, I think. I love it. Only child or siblings? So siblings. Uh, I have one brother. He is four years older than me, and I'm, I'm the youngest of the two. Okay. So if you had a soundtrack to your life, what would be the theme song? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Aquaman right. by Walk the Moon. Yeah. That's one of your favorite It is by far like one of my favorite if you could tag them if you could tag them. <laughs> just tag all of like your celebrity crushes. <laughs> you could help me out, Cherie. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Do you like hiking? Dave is super into hiking lately. He's he has um kind of reconnected with this hobby and this love and so um typically I would be associated as someone who is like um, I like the idea of nature a lot I go there in my mind but to be there in the nature in my body hiking you could see things like animals and <laughs> yeah. bugs, just dirt, <laughs> stuff like that. Keep going. What else is in the forest? <laughs> well, there could be bears, but the chances of that are likely unlikely if you hike around here. Uh, weeds. <laughs> Great. So, but I, I, I do have it a goal to. I, I would like to like hiking. Yeah. So since it's Dave's hobby, I'm going to try to go on some more hikes this year. Definitely. What is the most attractive and least attractive trait in someone you're looking to date? Okay. um, Character (laughs) trait? Yeah. Okay. Confidence. Being the most attractive? Most, yeah. Confidence, most attractive. And then least attractive is probably extreme confidence. Mm. You know, when, when you can tell that somebody is like over trying. Yeah. That, that's a big turn off to me. Definitely. How would you define a date? I don't I don't necessarily think it has to be with someone you're romantically involved with. Like a date is just about intentional time where you are with someone. Yeah. Where pre- you're focusing on your presence with the other person regardless of what you're doing. I love that definition. I think that's great. I think it broadens the scope of relationships. I like it. Good. Okay. If you had to ask someone out on a date right now, how would you do it? And what would you say? You know what? I think um, if I had to do it right now, because I'm in my 30s, life can be very complicated and stuff. <laughs> I think I would literally walk up to someone and be like, hey, do you want to go on a date? <laughs> and then they have two choices. They can say yes or no. <laughs> and, then, and then that's it. Just like, I would like to go minimalistic. Yeah. Okay. Follow up question. What would be the dream date? This can be as simple or elaborate as you want. Okay. Dream date would be hopping a train or renting a car, like like a new new ride, new form of transportation into the city to see something that you need to have a ticket for. (laughs) I don't like where this is going. I love it. I would say like a Broadway show or like a concert. Oh, like Walk the Moon. Yeah. Like, hey, say Walk the Moon is playing in Chicago. We could hop the train 
right down the street, ride the train to Chicago, see a show, and then go out for fancy cocktails after that. I love it. And then go to sleep because I would be very tired. Wow. So when are we doing this? Exactly. (laughs) Because we did just define what a date is. Exactly. Okay. On a first date, what is something that is immediately attractive and immediately repelling? Mm, Immediately attractive is a really good question to ask her. And then repelling? Oh, gosh. I'm going to go extreme here, but like if somebody doesn't, um, isn't mindful of like hygiene um, habits or anything like that, <laughs> <laughs> like upon like first date, yeah. oh, I'd be out of there. <laughs> like don't stick your finger in your ear. Please don't clear your throat a thousand times. Um, the finger licking thing, isn't that something that we, we talked about before? holy smokes we were not that long ago we were at a restaurant and we yeah I didn't think anyone was gonna sit at our table with us but we were sitting at this fairly large table and a couple people sat at the end of the table yes and the guy next to us just one finger after the next he was just like (laughs) licking the fingers smacking it it this gotta go I can't do I can't do that that's so funny. Those are things that, like, you want to find those out. I don't know. Maybe other people would disagree with me. But I think, like, save those for um, marriage or something. When you're already in it. Yeah, totally. Because it's kind of inevitable you're going to learn these things about your partner. One way, shape, or more. <laughs> like the first day, at least, trying to enjoy it. Yeah, you heard it here first. Don't lick your fingers <laughs> until you're married. <laughs> best new marriage advice if Dave were here he would be like okay keep going down your list Kara because there's like a hundred things on that list that now he he gets the brunt of (laughs) all right in dating what is a non-negotiable for you trust when you were younger when you were dating when you were interested in people what were the telltale signs that you were into them Oh, probably because I'd pull their um, wallet-sized picture out of my pocket. <laughs> what? <laughs> what age are we talking about here? Did you ever do that? Oh, for sure. Tell us more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you clarified. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. I, I don't know. I just remember, I think even through middle school, it was like a thing where school pictures would come out, and then similarly to like when you get yearbooks and you... You know, you're going to go, like, pass your yearbook around and see how many signatures you can get. Or, like, Ooh, what is this What is this boy going to write in my yearbook? I hope he finally confesses his love to me. Maybe maybe nobody else did that but me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think similarly, like, when pictures would come out, I would, like, hope that, I don't know, people, you'd get, like, a little wallet size or, like, teeny tiny versions of it. And then, like, you had a certain amount that you would hand out to, to your, like, favorite people. Wow. So if you could get your hands on the wallet-sized photograph of your crush, that was a really, that was a really good day. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, so at a and sleepover. So you would like, oh, at sleepover. Yeah, at a sleepover them. or whatever if we're just hanging out. <laughs> one of, you just asked from one of the way, you know, how could you tell? Well, if I happened to pull that wallet-sized photo out, <laughs> that would be a way to tell. I love that. I mean, I guess that is like the equivalent to screenshots now. You know, when I you're telling so. your friends about like, oh, there's this guy and they're like, picture. And then you like... Get on Instagram okay, and like, take a something. screenshot. Do we yeah. need to discuss my age really quick? Or <laughs> that's, that's is that what you're getting you. at? Nope. That is, uh... I guess in today's day, 
An equivalent of that wouldn't be Instagram. <laughs> Did you know what that was? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's man. real. It's fine. <laughs> that was great. Kara's not that old. Or old at all. I will be 36 years old in, on November 22nd. You're so young. If you want to let Walk the Moon know that that's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> or Kristen Bell. Maybe I could get a shout out. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. Oh, man. So this, I guess this kind of like, maybe is what you were talking about before, but um, how did you know that you were in love? I don't think I ever totally knew if I was in love yeah. or not. I think what I knew was that I've got some really high feelings right now. Have you ever had your heart broken? Oh, how many, how many times? <laughs> that was such a hard sentence. So many times. Oh, many times. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, I have. Over and over and over and over again. Okay, do you have a most memorable date story? And if not, can you talk about your first kiss? Oh, I should definitely talk about my first kiss. Okay, do that. Okay. I will not name names since okay. I'm still local, right? <laughs> okay. You and can make up names. <clears throat> could I? Yeah. Well, I mean, to anyone who's in this situation, who was in this situation with me in real life, um, I, I think very highly of you still. So <laughs> we'll say that. So in eighth grade, I had uh, just secured a boyfriend. <laughs> from youth group just before Christmas break and uh, he went away to I believe Florida and while Christmas break was happening uh, our the church that I was a part of here was throwing had this like annual big like Christmas pageant like the Christmas Eve service it was a big ordeal multiple services uh, and young people got to if you wanted to like play a role in it you could be a shepherd you could be uh you know joseph was normally saved joseph and mary were saved for yeah for others special yes i did get to be baby jesus though once when i was a baby (laughs) (laughs) anyways and so uh some of my friends and i from church were going to participate in this and so it's a it's a like multiple evening ordeal you have rehearsals and you get to stay up late because the the services are late at night and it's a special experience and there was this other shepherd that um over this period of time started showing some interest in me and i was very attracted to the idea of his interest in me and he was the popular guy in youth group too and so i certainly got swept up in that a little bit so we had a great night as shepherds (laughs) And then uh, New Year's Eve rolled around, and he asked me if I wanted to come over for our New Year's Eve with him and a few of his friends. And so we did that. And, I mean, well, you know what is kind of supposed to happen when the ball drops, right? right? Well, what you might be thinking is what actually happened. Um, the ball dropped, and I, I was kissed, and I didn't stop it. And so what's interesting about this is I was actually – my first kiss, I was actually cheating on my my eighth grade boyfriend. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I felt instantly terrible about it. Because he was it. in Florida. Because he, bless his heart, was in Florida, and he is the best person on the whole planet. And 
Yeah, I mean, we I did circle back around years and years and years. I think multiple times I've tried to apologize and make that right. But yeah, it's sort of interesting to say my very first kiss ever, um, I was cheating on somebody. Wow. Wow. That is... Eighth grade drama. Eighth grade is wild. Yeah, I can't say I made the best decision in that moment, did I? <laughs> you know, it was a learning experience. It definitely was. And and looking back, now that I've had a little more experience, it also, like, wasn't the best kiss either, which, so then, like, (laughs) um, you know, and I'm 50% of the equation there, so that's not a blame on him. It was just, like, wow, that was a, that was a lot that I'm not sure was worth it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How soon after did your Florida boyfriend find out about this? What was the aftermath? You know, I literally think it was, like, the next week, I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't. My conscience was just going nuts. So I'm pretty sure that I called him on the phone and told him, and then I broke up with him, I think, because I just felt so bad about it. Wow. Okay, what does friendship mean to you? Okay, I would define friendship fairly similarly to how I would define date, but um, instead of intentional time, I think it's an intentional interest and investment in another person. Um, that has a sense of mutuality about it. Um, but I think friendship is hard to define because, yeah, it can mean so many different things to different people depending on, like, what they look for or need in a friend. And then kind of along with that, what does family mean to you? Well, first of all, my family kicks ass. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Well, first of all, my family kicks ass. <laughs> I think taking friendship, like, one step further, then family comes with a level of commitment that I think goes a step beyond friendship. It's kind of a, a devotion and a commitment to certain people. In my own life, I've learned, you know, there's family is also isn't limited to the blood that you share between people. And we're trying to teach that to our kids right now, too. It can look so many different ways. But I do think the thing that sets it apart from friendship or other types of relationship is just the kind of like the deep commitment and devotion to those people. Yeah. Definitely. Do you believe in soulmates? I do believe in soulmates, but uh, maybe not with the stereotypical or traditional definition that we hear. Um, To me, when I think about a soulmate, I think about someone who, when you meet them or you experience a relationship with them, it feels like there's something about the relationship that feels like you were, I don't know, like cut from the same branch. Definitely. What is the most challenging and most fulfilling part of uh, being in a relationship? And you can pick a type. Um, I'll pick marriage. Yeah. Uh, the most challenging part, I think, is um, being honest about yourself. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say that when you choose a marriage and there's that commitment involved, you're also like agreeing to have somebody hold up a mirror in front of you all the time. And while it may not always be true, I think there are elements of that that are true. Um, your relationships don't evolve and grow if you don't if you don't have awareness of yourself and how you're contributing to it. It's so much easier in committed relationships, especially I think, to make problems or your frustrations always be about the other person, um, which you actually have very little control over. And so, I, yeah, I think the most challenging part is just being responsible for yourself with inside a relationship. I think the most fulfilling part um, is super, super simple, but having someone to share your life's meaningful moments with, 
It doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but yeah. What scares you most about love? The thing I fear the most, I think, is the process of feeling like the love is fading. I mean, there's a second conversation there about how we actually, like, define what the love is. Yeah, with this idea that you want to be experiencing and feeling love between the person, um, you know, that you're most committed to. So I think I fear the times and the ways in which the feelings of love can fade, um, knowing that that requires... It requires self-awareness and it requires work and I don't know nobody I don't think anybody would choose like hey if you had to if you had to like 24-7 feel romantic feelings or they're gonna fade <laughs> like yeah. I think everybody would probably I shouldn't assume but I would think most people would choose like they want to feel mm-hmm. um feel that feeling all the time so the fading can be scary yeah and then kind of along with that what makes love worth it in the end in the end, I think you realize what things about love are important. I think when, I guess piggybacking off of what scares me, I think when you don't always have the feelings to totally like carry you through everything, um, it really forces you to explore within yourself and reach out you know, across the way to the other person and talk about what is really important and how what it communicates to the people around you and to yourself when you're willing to step into those spaces so I would sum it up as in like you discover that what is most important is um, growing I think yeah with somebody and growing within yourself too yeah great thank you wow you're welcome okay so it is time for first date do's and don'ts so give us a first date do and a first date don't a first date do is where really, really great cologne or perfume. A first date, don't. You don't want to lick your fingers. <laughs> Save it for marriage. Save it for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Okay, topic of the week. We are talking about being a love addict. Mm-hmm. And when I first asked Kara what she wanted to talk about, this was something that came up. Um, actually, I think you might have been talking about it before, and then I was like, oh, that would be great for my podcast I would love to know more about that and so I'm still kind of I still kind of don't know I guess what it is but uh, could you describe or explain what it means for you yeah I mean so to to gather kind of like a, a simple basic definition in my own words there are a lot of people who um, are way more fancy about this like researchers and psychologists so um, disclaimer, I am not that. <laughs> but what it means to me. Um, so just like other types of addictions, when you have you have a dopamine release to whatever your substance of choice is, you can have a similar experience with specifically attachment. It's easier to say uh, to love or to relationships, but a similar thing can happen in your brain chemically in that stage where you're experiencing these feelings we can elaborate more on this a little bit later but that sort of sets you into a similar experience and process as as you would be if you were addicted to another another substance of some sort so for a lot of people who identify as love addicts they're experiencing a similar process where they've had some experience with either um, validation that felt good as opposed to maybe something they, uh, that they had experienced otherwise. 
a lots of times as a child. And so then they, the desire then is to just recreate that feeling over and over and over again through the means of relationship, which is a similar pattern that you see for people who might find themselves addicted to cocaine or other substances as well. That's so interesting. It is, and I think there is a there is a few people who are more famously known for researching this specific topic, specifically Helen Fisher is a name. Um, she has a lot of TED Talks and stuff on the brain study, what's happening in the brain when this is experienced. She did this really cool study. Again, I'm going to paraphrase in my own words, but basically she looked at a pool of college students. If I'm remembering right, I think it was like 15, pa- 15 college students who were communicating that they were still in love with someone that they had broken up to broken up with two months prior and so what they did is they did functional mri on these individuals who were stating this and when they were talking about this these i'm still in love with them the m the science and the mri uh, showed up that the activity in the brain was still active in the same way that it would be if they were actually still tangibly in the relationship and in love. And so it's just really interesting. The process of what's happening in the brain is that uh, there are highs and lows, but yet with this constant um, brain activity, you can find a way to, to stay in a continual state of those brain waves being activated. So for me, an example of that would be if you're in a relationship and all of a sudden some of those high feelings start to fade, we might say like, hey, your relationship starts turning like normal or something. You like (laughs) realize you're a normal person where that high is sort of being challenged. What I used to do is control it by either staying in the relationship and finding somebody else to like attach myself to emotionally, even if I was still in the relationship. Um, Or I would end the relationship as soon as I could, sabotage it, and then immediately find another relationship. So that that state of my brain was always constantly um, activated. Wow. And and it it does create a similar addictive behavior then as any, um, any addict trying to maintain maintain a high. And then this other this other element of what happens in the brain too, which is so fascinating to me, is when you're in a high state, uh, there's research that shows that the emotions, all those high feelings that you get, you know, hormonally when you're you're uh, like interested in someone or you're in the beginning stages of a relationship, those feelings also have the same effect similar effect on your brain as when you're actually experiencing a high with substance. And so the brain, the the amygdala, which like sends your fight or flight response and your other cortexes that control your reasoning and things like that, they just shut down, you know, because why wouldn't they, right? Because (laughs) you just want to stay, you want to stay high, I guess. And so I find that so interesting because that means that regardless of what the reality of the relationships are sometimes why for example maybe you know hey this person might not be the best partner for me because of this 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 and this but hey my brain doesn't give a crap right now because this feels so good and let's maintain that feeling and so you lose this sense of when you're in that state it sort of explains why you can't always reason well 
why you're not really thinking about the broader sense of love or the broader sense of partner choice or anything else. You're just thinking about the high. And I do think that there's this element of it that is um, natural. Like we're created to we're created to respond in this way. I mean, you want to like go way back science for like primal reasons and finding finding a mate, right? But I always think about like that. I don't know that emotional high that we get when we meet people like magnets. Like we're all, we all ha- are magnetized on the inside, and um, as we go about our life and our days, that there are just certain people that we find ourselves like more attracted to and and being more drawn to, and it's innate. It's this built-in thing. So it's not necessarily that it's bad. It has it's right. there for a reason, and it has an incredibly positive impact on our life. Um. But I think that there's so much more going on beneath the surface for a lot of individuals um, when it comes to the process of discovering relationships and how they validate or don't validate and how we attach to them and how we don't. And that was very, very much my experience. Wow. That's so fascinating. So do you think that there are... I mean, do you think that that's linked maybe to why... I guess... mm, I'm sure there are a plethora of reasons why, like, some people stay in really unhealthy relationships for them, but do you think that, like, there is any sort of link to that? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure that it certainly plays a part. I mean, uh, most people will bring something into their partner search process, so to speak, um from what they've experienced in the past. Um, Specifically, like, we all look for validation. We're all looking for, when we're looking for partnerships and relationships, we're not necessarily thinking about it always in a broad sense. We're, in its basic terms, we're looking for a form of attachment that encompasses validation and a lot of other things. But I do think that some of those human basic needs like attachment and belonging and affirmation and validation all those things I certainly think that those can become primary and yeah cloud vision and judgment Uh, yeah and then if you if you think about the the brain activity and what's going on there certainly I certainly think it would play a role especially when the fear the fear of the unknown uh, the fear of losing attachment the fear of losing those things I think can actually drive somebody to stay yeah do you think that this is tied to so I feel like most people maybe have heard the concept or the term of being a serial dater so people who Mm -hmm. kind of bounce from relationship to relationship like always with a new person Mm -hmm. do you think that that's like another name for that I think it could be I'm not totally as familiar with it but I'm sure but I'm sure there's like lots of variations depending on people's experience and what they perceive of it. Like a more, a way more mild version that I experienced like my whole life was boy crazy yeah. or promiscuous. Yeah. And those are terms that, to be honest, now at this stage of my life, I have quite a bit of frustration towards. Right. Um, especially because those are two words that are specifically thrown at women. It's not in my experience, it's not quite as common to hear somebody throw girl crazy at a boy, yeah, a guy, or permissuous at a guy. And I, th- I just think it's unfortunate because there's so much more going on. There could be so much more going on underneath the surface. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think too, 
a part of my experience was um, living in it for so long and having no idea whatsoever that that is actually what I was experiencing. And so when I got to a point where in the presence of a therapist, uh, she taught me what, what love addiction is and that it's actually, it is a thing, actually. I look back on so many years of my experience and just felt... I don't know. I felt hurt and disappointed that there was really something going on. And I felt I, I felt like the experiences were dismissed and minimized um, as something like just being boy crazy. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't ex- if, if I didn't know, you know, I don't necessarily say that, like, have an expectation that everybody know. But I do think moving forward that there's conversation to have about how we're using those terms, especially if, if we're labeling women that way. I think it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk about, I guess, what this kind of journey of like learning and healing and growth has looked like for you in light of thinking about the whole love addiction thing? As far as I can go back remembering, uh, well, one of the questions that people ask me sometimes is like, how did you, like, where did it start? And I don't have, I don't really know the answer to that because I have a lot of memories being a kid and just knowing that like being aware of feeling happy in relationships and wanting connection with people. I remember being, but I have an older sibling and I remember um, uh, like playing, being outside playing with he and his friends and like having feelings of like wanting to ask them if they like liked like me, <laughs> like even as like a little child. And I don't necessarily know um, where it comes from. Most of the research says that for people who experience um, addictions or specifically love addiction that there is a a disconnect or an absence um, of nurturing from a parent or something like that and when I process that I don't have any particular moments or experiences where I could say hey I could trace it back to that but I do think where it starts for a lot of people and probably for me or I would describe it's just like the the space between humans and what I mean by that is like because a parent and a child are still both human there's no way for them to be able to equally communicate exactly what they need and totally show up for each other and so there's always going to be this space between two people where their humanness is kind of there and so somewhere along the line I, I definitely know that I developed a belief system that oh yeah that I wasn't worth paying attention to that I didn't have value or I needed to show people why I was fun to be around you know I'm thinking like child mentalities but you know then as I developed you know um, experiences over time very quickly I started paying attention to if if I behave like this or um, if I tell this kind of joke or if I take on this kind of personality then people not boys people are going to respond to me and what that does the 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 brain language around it is uh your brain feels a sense of reward and so the pattern then is let me just do this over and over and over again and figure out how to uh, recreate and fine-tune this process and so i think something that's important as i go into like telling some of my story too is that it's important to know about love addiction that it really at its foundation is not about romantic partners it's also not about sex 
it's not necessarily even about your hormonal experience. It's about attachment and it can, love addicts can experience this with any and all kinds of relationships. And so some of my earlier memories of how I would relate to people would be like, in two seconds, I would ditch friends for new friends. Basic stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which actually, you know, I, I know looking back had significant um, effect on other people. But for me, whether it was due to self-protection or whatever, I just kept figuring out how to kind of control and organize my life experiences so that I was always kind of on the one-up when it came to relationships and can control that attachment. Um, I had a boyfriend uh, a some way, shape, or form <laughs> since like fourth grade. Um, and the kind of short end of the story is that, yeah, it was just a, as I explained earlier, a continuous, um, experience of one relationship after the next, I would be in a relationship and start feeling dissatisfied or my feelings are coming down and I would attach myself emotionally to somebody else, even if they didn't know it, or I would break off a relationship and try to start another one. Yeah. And there was a lot of kind of secretive behavior around that. Back in my day, <laughs> uh, there was a new information called chat rooms and <laughs> like a- AIM. Oh my gosh. Um, where you could instant message people and talk to people over the computer. Kind of like DMs? Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Instagram, just so you know. <laughs> um, but I always had that going on too. So, regardless, even if I. Like, there would be times where I would maybe have a boyfriend and then, uh, like, have somebody on the back burner, so to speak. Sounds so terrible to say it that way, but that was kind of true emotionally. And then I would also chat with people online. And so it was like, I never, I just made sure that I was never without, or I would never, like, run out of that feeling, I guess. You know, things really started picking up with it, though, um, when I was in college. There's a oftentimes a culture around college where at this stage in your life you start more seriously looking for your partner that could become a more feasible (laughs) option (laughs) and so I think that subconsciously that really intensified the process for me and being away from home and I lived in a co-ed dorm oh man (laughs) and so I think at that time is when I started to become a little bit more like obsessive about it and I don't necessarily mean obsessive like over other people like I can't put words in people's mouths but I I don't think that a lot of the people that I dated or interacted with would would say that I was upset obsessive or they experienced that with me but I was obsessive on the inside of me it distracted me from schoolwork I I took myself to the psychologist or the counselor to get a reference a referral to the psychologist so I could get meds for focusing <laughs> thinking that it was like I have ADD but really, I was literally just so constantly distracted by this reality uh, that led eventually to uh, me dating someone, and then he proposed to me. This guy, he was a great, great person. We got along well. We laughed together a lot. Yeah, and this was the thing I had waited my whole life for, right? I mean, since I could ever remember, I just, I think I thought in my mind, like, marriage will be like the ultimate attachment Um, and there will be sort of a like resolve to this process and this longing I think for me we got engaged um, and it was quite an experience Uh, we were working at a camp together and I don't 
looking back on this experience is literally one of the greatest mysteries of my life. I really don't know why the awareness of my reality kind of set in during that. But yeah, we were working at a camp um, where kids come and stay for a week at a time. He was leading music. I was doing, um, yeah, in leadership role. And in the middle of the night, one of the first nights of uh, our week of camp, first week of camp, I woke up in a panic attack and I didn't know what was wrong, but I just knew that I needed help. And so um, that that projected me into kind of like two a two-week process of I left camp, I went into, I got help and went into like a week-long kind of intensive counseling experience. And in those sessions, uh, I was able to discover like just sifting through my feelings like, okay, I think I don't actually want to get married. Not totally sure why, but the more important questions that we were exploring is like, okay, well, how did I get to this place where I'm ready to say yes, I've said yes to somebody that... Um, not a reflection on him, but just a relationship that um, I'm un- that I that I don't feel is good for me or right on the inside. Like where where did all of the processing and judgment and everything along the way go? How did I get here? And um, I did not know that exploring that question was gonna result in like studying my whole life. Yeah, basically. Wow. And and really kind of revealing that. So at the end of that week, yeah, we, we broke things off and, and I started <laughs> trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do now? I literally don't know how to function like this, which leads me into kind of another interesting element about love addiction is that, you know, with any other kind of addict, uh, when you are removed from the substance, there's withdrawal symptoms and a withdrawal process that doesn't affect just you, but it affects your community too. And this, there's a similar process that happens with, with love addiction. And I did not know that (laughs) totally. And so shortly, interestingly, shortly after I broke off that engagement, uh, I actually met Dave during that time when I was switching careers and figuring out what I was going to do. I took this job at this church and I met Dave there. I remember the students were like, you see that guy? He's single. And I was like, oh no, Mm. he is so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do? This is going to be bad news. Luckily though, I am a part of the, the process, you know, was just, I had no idea how to trust myself. Like I thought I'll never be able to trust myself again in any relationship. I'll never get married. I mean, there was like all this kind of grief. And so to try to not let myself get to an extreme place, I there was a quite a strong kind of wall of accountability around me. I sort of said, if I ever even think of dating anyone, you need to approve and you need to approve and you need to approve. Yeah. And I, I need to, yeah, not in a shame kind of way, but just because I needed to learn how to trust myself again. Yeah. So when I met Dave, I mean, that was in place. And But when we got married, the first two years... To be honest, our, our wedding day was probably one of, there were elements of it that were like the best thing I've ever experienced. And then other elements where I would say there were parts of that day that were like some of the hardest things I've ever experienced. Wow. Because our wedding day was like the day that I drove my foot in the ground and just said, um, never again. Because I just knew, people say, how did you, how did you know that he was, that your partner was the one or whatever? I just knew that the lifestyle that I had lived, uh, I didn't, I just didn't want to treat Dave that way. And I, and I knew that uh, there was something about the person that he was that made me want to be better in that way. And so on that day, it was just, yeah, it was just like, 
I don't know, like an alcoholic putting down the bottle for the first time. Kind of, you know, it really, it's, yeah. I don't want to minimize, minimize it, it um, the experience of an alcoholic, but I really, to try to find some verbiage of what it felt like for me, it, it felt what I would imagine similar. And then the first two years of our marriage, I was basically uh, home ridden with anxiety. Like I could be at home and I could be at my job. But other than that, I was so anxious and having just panic experience because I just did not know how to function. The way that I moved through day-to-day life was through the means of the relationships that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I just... I just didn't even know how to be a normal person who got up and had breakfast and didn't think about what guy they were going to run into first of the day, wow. like that kind of thing. So through therapy, it was like, this is, yeah, this is withdrawal. You know, yeah. you're completely relearning and you're stepping out into a whole new, a whole new world. Um, should we sing now? We're both musicians. <laughs> If you couldn't tell by that little ditty we just did, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, the rest is kind of, I won't say the rest is history, you know, at, the, at that point because it's it's daily work and it's um, not just for me but for my husband too. But that, yeah, it, it was a very crazy eye-opening experience to all of a sudden in one moment be told, hey, actually, uh, you might identify as a love addict. And my whole world changed. But even still, I mean, that was like over 10 years ago. And because it's not a very common conversation, I'm like grateful to be able to talk about it here because, yeah, I, I think there's more conversation that needs to be had around it. And I was very embarrassed for a long time. Yeah. Because so many people had known me for so long as, you know, they just... Or like when I broke off my engagement, oh gosh, I felt, yeah, I just felt like I walked around with like a scarlet letter on my, on my shirt. Like everybody I saw, I had to tell them that I had gotten to this point. And in order to know me, you had to know this. And it was just so, there was so much shame and embarrassment around it. But now I look back and like that process is like the most thing that I'm, the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kara, I wish that we had more time to keep talking about this because this is really cool. I mean, obviously we can talk about it outside of the podcast, but <laughs> I wish that like, yeah, this is really cool though. Uh, thanks so much for sharing. Is there any like kind of last thoughts that you have? Yeah, I just, I think um, women, t- uh, I think it's important for women to support each other in their um, exploration of love. I think that it's a very, very good thing that we all need the attachment and the connection and all of that yeah but I just think anyone who hears this uh be sensitive about the labels that we put on women and their exploration of their relationships um yeah and to maybe not assume that there isn't more going on underneath the surface yeah so it is time for the relationship of the week this is just your parting words you just said relationship yep that's exactly what I meant relation I get it (laughs) (laughs) took me a hot sec okay (laughs) uh this is just your parting words of wisdom to our audience yeah uh my parting words are um be intentional and aware of who you are as a person uh what you need and try to move towards that in as healthy a way as possible yeah great thank you so much and then uh kara where can people find you slash do you want people to find you yeah i would love it i would love it uh 
I'm primarily on Instagram, Karamot. I keep it easy. Just Karamot on what? Instagram. Awesome. Let's just let's keep it there. All right. As always, folks, if you have a question or a comment for the podcast, you can let me know on Instagram or you can go to my website, www.elephantsandlove.com, click on the podcast page, and all your information's right there. So we will talk to you next time. See you later. <laughs> awesome. Did it. We did it.